Welcome to the Connection Church Athens podcast. Connection Church exists to connect all people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you live in the Athens area, we would love for you to join us in worship Sundays at 11. Or if you would like more information about our church, visit us online at connectionchurchathens.com. We look forward to meeting you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Connection Church. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jamie, uh, and I'm excited to get into God's Word with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I I really can hardly contain my excitement for the passage that we've made it to uh, in Romans this morning. Um, You know, this week, it was really a heavy week. I think uh, unless you live in a hole, you kind of understand all the things that have gone on uh, in Athens this week, at, uh, on campus, right? Um, some public, some not so public. Uh, but with all of that, I was so encouraged by a lot of our college students and a lot of our young people that uh, they ran to each other and they ran to God's word. Uh, they ran to truth. Uh, and they really gave me a lot of encouragement this week. Um, and so what better place to run in the midst of, of just chaos, right? What better place to run than Romans chapter 8? That we're going to dive into this morning. If you're familiar with John Piper, he calls this the greatest chapter in the Bible. So pretty, pretty high praise uh, for where we're at this morning, right? This passage was also really influential for me uh, personally when I was in college. Uh, this this passage was really uh, important. It really shaped me. It was influential in my walk with the Lord. I was I was a Christian. I knew the gospel, right? Um, I believe that I was saved. But I was kind of on spiritual life support uh, when I was at Georgia Southern uh, for, for a time. And so God really used not only the believers around me, but he used this passage of Scripture to kind of shock me back to life, so to speak. I think of the, the dramatic uh, scenes in the movie, right, where they get the paddles out and it's, they're here and it's clear, you know. Uh, that's kind of what this passage means to me. So it's very uh, near and dear to me, and I hope that I'll do it justice this morning. Uh, and so, you know, like Paul describes... Like we're, gonna, like we're gonna unpack, the thing that I was doing that made me struggle in my walk with faith is I was listening to the spirit of the flesh as opposed to the spirit of God. And we see this morning, those two things are in, are in opposition to each other. But the decisions I was making, I was giving more authority to my flesh than I was the spirit. But God in his sovereignty, God in his grace, uh, used, these, used these things to kind of bring me back to life, so to speak. Spiritually, so with the pressure to do this passage justice, right? I kind of gave some some reasons why it's it's nostalgic. It's great. Uh, I feel very inadequate, right? And so I'm just going to start with a word of prayer, uh, and then we'll walk through the first couple of verses uh, together. So y'all pray with me, Heavenly Father, God. I thank you so much for this time this morning to dive into your Word, to get into Scripture, to celebrate your character, to celebrate who you are, and to realize who we are, God, as created beings, as human beings who are made. In your image, I pray, God, that you would get me out of the way, God, and that your word would speak uh, to our people this morning here at Connection Church Athens. God, we love you, we praise you. Just ask that you bless this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, briefly, I want to I want to set the stage just a little bit. So, this is going to kind of serve as a as a two week uh, as a two week deal. Um, the way that the passage kind of lays out, I feel like it needs to be done that way. Uh, I want to give a little bit of a framework so that you guys can kind of plan. If, you, if you're uh, OCD and like to take notes and structure things, right, 
uh, hopefully this, this will help you out. I'm going to call it the battle for authority. I just described it. There's this battle within the life of every believer. We can listen to the spirit of the flesh or we can listen to the spirit of Christ. And so this is going to be a two-week message called the battle for authority. I'm going to do the first four verses today like Parker just read for us. Um, and then uh, hopefully we'll finish and get through verse 17 next week, right? But the reality is for all of us, God's design for humanity was broken in the garden. It was broken when sin entered the picture way back in Genesis 3. And this is when this battle really began, right? Before that, God's people were walking with him, right? There was no sin in the picture. They just walked with God. But when sin entered the picture, it started this battle. Battle between the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life, and the law of the spirit of sin and death. Verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We see these two things presented from the very first verse. Two laws or two forces uh, are right in the very first verse. They are present within the soul or within the inner being of every human being, right? Or every believer that has, pl that has placed their faith in Christ. These two forces are present within us. Now, if you're like me, when I think, when I think of the word law... I think of like a rule or a statute, right, that man has created, that man has come up with for a purpose or to, to, for protection or for safety or for whatever, right? Traffic laws, criminal laws, civil laws, all of these things are put in place by people that have a certain amount of authority and they put these things in place for a certain purpose, right? Another way we see this word law used is in, in scripture, right? God gave Moses the law in the Old Testament. And we'll get to that aspect in verse 3. But when we see the law in, verse, in the first two verses, Paul's not talking about either of these two ideas. Paul's talking about a different way that we use the word law. There's another way that it can be used, and it's like in science, right? Or mathematics sometimes. There's the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics, Newton laws of Newton's laws of physics. Uh, maybe you've heard of Murphy's law, right? All of these things already exist, Right? But man has just observed and labeled these things. Man has not created these types of laws. Man has only observed that these things already exist naturally. The dictionary defines it this way. Mr. Webster helped us out here. This type of law is defined as a statement of fact. It should be up on the screen for us. A statement of fact deduced from observation to the effect that a particular natural or scientific phenomenon always occurs if certain conditions are present. So that's a, a, a kind of by-the-book definition, right? We've clarified the word law. Now let's look at it again with, a, with a, a better understanding of this word law. Through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So verse 1, Paul makes, a, Paul makes a, a claim. What's the claim? No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the claim. I want to circle the word because. Some translations use the word for. I think if you have an ESV or something similar, there's a word uh, for or because. It's a small word, but it carries a lot of weight when it comes to interpreting this passage. And then verse 2 gives evidence. That word because means that verse 2 describes or verse 2 gives evidence for verse 1 and the claim that Paul made in verse 1. So because we've been set free from this law of sin and death, 
We're no longer condemned by that law. We no longer meet the, meet the standard or meet the requirements for that law. Think about it in terms of the definition that we just laid out. When certain conditions are present, we can observe the fact that when humanity and sin are present, death and condemnation will occur. We can make that uh, deduction, right? We can infer that conclusion. That's the law of sin and death. When humanity and sin are present, we fall under the law of sin and death. But when we add Christ to the equation, He sets us free from the old law. He sets us free from that law of sin and death. He brings something else to the equation, to the table. And so when we add Christ, we can observe that life and freedom come, not condemnation. So we've got Christ, we've got, I'm sorry, we've got humanity, and we've got sin. Everybody's affected by that. No matter where you live, where you come from, how you were raised, what background you are, doesn't matter. We all have that. The only thing that can change our equation is when we add Christ to it. I made some very uh, sophisticated mathematical equations that I want to share with you guys. Shows my uh, extreme math ability, right? Spent a lot of time on these. Hope you guys uh, realize how accomplished I feel. They should be up on the screen. The first one is humanity, or if you're a human and you add sin, it equals death. That's the law of sin and death. The second equation, same human, same sin, that part's the same. You add Christ, it equals freedom from death. All the complexities in life, all of the big questions, all of the, all of the things that we wonder about, all of these big complex questions can somehow be boiled down and fit into these two equations. All of humanity is affected by one of these two equations. The only thing that really matters is if Christ is a, is, is, is a part of it, is if Christ is in it. The hard part about being a devoted follower of Christ and living by His Spirit is that when we accept the gospel, we enter into a lifelong battle for authority, right? We enter into this we accept that we're always going to have this strain or this tension between these two laws. And it goes back to the way that we're created. We have the option to give authority to one or both of these, these laws, right? They're present within all of us. There's conflict within us. It's like we're made of oil and water. Y'all know the old, the old oil and water uh, demonstration, right, from science class? They don't mix. They don't go together. It creates constant tension. But my goal, and I think what hopefully what Paul is going to explain to us, is that we're going to have some hope for that battle and we're going to have some expectation, right? It's a lot easier to enter into a battle when you have some expectation of what it's going to be like, right? <clears throat> because if we're engaged in that battle, if we feel that tension and we feel that struggle, Liam talked about it last week in Romans 7, if we feel like Paul when we're, we're, we're dealing with that tension and that struggle, we can rest and we can be secure that our equation is equation number two. And we can have security in life and freedom. Even though it's hard, even though there's tension, we can rest in that. <clears throat> he has added His Spirit by His grace to our equation and no power of hell or Satan himself can undo what Christ has done for us. And that should give us hope. And I have to, I have to shoot straight a little bit this morning. Um, not because I enjoy it necessarily and I don't like just talking about hard things, but it's because I feel like it's what's being faithful to God's Word. Uh, and that's, at the end of the day, what I'm here to do. I'm not going to hold it back because ultimately I love all of you, right? And I know the potential 
uh, in the way that God can use Connection Church if we get this right. We can have an impact for the kingdom. We're going to talk about this battle that exists within every believer. But if you don't live life with this daily battle, without the realization that we are just completely helpless and hopeless without Christ, then you're just playing a cultural game. And if you're just playing a cultural game, if you're just doing what you got to do to feel good about yourself, if you're just barely trying to skate out of hell or sneak into the back row of heaven, right? We've all heard that before. If that's what we're doing, then the Spirit of Christ is not in us. It's not in you. And you are not engaged in the battle that God calls us to engage in. The Spirit of Christ is not in you. This, this battle's not going to make sense. You're not going to be able to relate. Please hear that this is not meant to be divisive. This is not meant to be judgmental. This is coming from a place of doing my best to speak the truth of what Scripture says from a place of genuine love and care for everybody that's here. Without Christ, we're just carnal creatures living off of instinct, living for self-preservation, doing whatever pleases us, whatever feels right, whatever our culture or our circumstances tell us that we should do. But God has created us and he has hardwired us for a relationship with him. Sin causes a divide, not just a, it causes a a chasm is what, uh, what a lot of people say. This is not just a strain in that relationship. Sin causes a clean break in our relationship with God. And so if we're just operating on on instinct, if we're just operating as a a created, uh, a carnal creature, then then our relationship with God is broken. And that's what the text is saying when it says, when we live by the law of sin and death, the Spirit of Christ is not present and our relationship with God is broken. All the cultural games in the world are not going to matter at the end of the day. Without Christ, we can't even see that we have a problem because we don't have the mirror of the Holy Spirit inside of us that shows us God's standard, that shows us how perfect and holy Christ is. And when we have the Spirit inside us, we will desire more of the things of God. We won't be perfect, but we will have a desire of the things of God. And it will create conflict within us. We will enter into this constant battle. We will have this struggle that it's like for every believer. The hard part about our culture, right, is that when we live in a place like we do, the church is such a large part of the fabric of society, the big C church, the corporate church. That's a big part of what living in America, or or at least living in the southern part of America, is like. But what 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 do carnal creatures do? With no influence from the Spirit of God, we practice self glorification, we practice self preservation. And so as this plays out, when the institution of church is ingrained in our culture, or when the institution of dead religion is ingrained in our culture, most people just go along with it, right? They just check the box. We just show up. Not because, we love the, not because they love the, the things of God or desire the things of God, but because that's just what you do as a Southern American, right? To be accepted as, as a good person or to be accepted as moral. Or maybe it's just to keep mom and dad happy. Or maybe it's to keep grandma happy. Maybe it's to network a business. Maybe there's other motivations present. But in effect, if that's our goal in in coming to church and being a part of a a, a church, we're not engaged in a spiritual battle. We're just practicing self-preservation like everything that's created does. Just following along with what our flesh thinks is natural. 
And so you can see in our culture that can get kind of murky, right? Like the waters get, get, get thick. It's hard to see who's just, doing, who's just doing these things and who's actually in a spiritual battle. It looks a lot different, right, where if you're in a different culture, in a different context. If you're in communist China or, or a remote jungle or parts of the Middle East, you don't have, this, you don't have this, this dynamic, right? It's a lot easier to tell. But the message of the gospel is if, if all we're doing is following culture, if all we're doing is, is being in the Bible Belt and doing what it takes to survive in the Bible Belt, then it's going to lead to condemnation. It's a lot harder to tell in Athens, Georgia, who is truly in Christ like God's Word describes and who's just doing what comes natural, who's just practicing self-preservation. And so my prayer for Romans 8 is that it will equip not only, not only for us to just be able to tell the difference in other people, right? That's not what it's all about. But my prayer is that it will, it will equip us to look within ourselves and, and decide for ourselves: am I really all on board with Christ or am I just doing what comes natural? Am I just doing what I'm supposed to do? I want us to wrestle with this truth so that we can be ready and we can have expectation for this battle that's going to happen because we're going to talk about it a lot this week and next week. And I want us to be truly in Christ before we try to engage in this battle. Man, Jamie, that sounds a little bit extreme, don't you think? Maybe that's just your opinion. I'm pretty comfortable here with my life in the Bible Belt, just doing what goes on, right? Just doing what, what's normal. How am I supposed to tell if I truly desire God or if I'm just following my natural instincts? I think that's an excellent question. I think it's a question that we should all ask. And I should be able to answer it if I'm going to say something like that, right? And here's how, here's how you know. Here's how I believe that you know. Because I don't want anybody to come to Connection Church and say, well, Jamie said this. This is not about what Jamie says. I want us to say this is what God's Word says. And so I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go to Genesis. Because this is how everybody that's created, all of humanity, this is how we get on the same playing field. This is where the authority that Paul gets uh, to make these claims comes from. And I know y'all are thinking, we got a lot to get to, or at least that's what I'm thinking. I got two weeks to cover a lot of ground. Why am I going back to another scripture? But I think it's important. An analogy that I hope is helpful is, has anybody ever seen Ninja Warrior, right? We love Ninja Warrior in our house. I got wild children. And so we love to watch people run and, and jump and, and climb on things. But at the end of Ninja Warrior, what do they do? What, what's the obstacle that, get, that they get to the end of the course? Anybody know? The warp wall, right? And when they do the warp wall, do they just stand at the bottom and then try to start and get up it? No, what do they do? They back up. They gain speed. And so I'm going to go back to Genesis and hopefully gain speed to get up the warp wall uh, of Romans chapter 8. Uh, hopefully that analogy makes sense. If not, go watch it. It's a great show. Uh, so we're going to back up and gain some speed. Paul's going to go more into detail about this battle that we're all going to engage in. He's going to give us some theological specifics about how this battle works. But before we get into any of the specifics, I want to make sure everybody here, because I love and care about everybody here, I want to make sure we're all engaged in the battle in a genuine way. So the first thing that we have to establish is why is being a human being unique? There's something about us that's unique from everything else in creation, right? Why, did God, why does God want a relationship with us? Why did he want a relationship with Adam and Eve instead of wanting a relationship with a dog or a chicken or a cow or a tree or anything else that he created, right? 
We are clearly set apart and we are different than anything else that God created. But why is that? If you want to follow an outline, the first point this morning is going to be humanity is special to God. Humanity is special to God. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. It should be up on the screen for us if you don't have to turn there. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 24. This is the creation narrative. Verse 24, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. Here's where we come in in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, our image, that's a reference to the Trinity, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. The reason that we are unique to God, the reason God desires a relationship with us, is because we're the only part of creation that was made in His image. This is called the Imago Dei. This is the fancy Latin term that, that, really, that smart people like to throw around, right? But this is what they mean when, when, they, when you hear the term Imago Dei. It means we are created in the image of God. That, mean, that means that we were meant to be like Him, act like Him, think like Him. We were meant to resemble God in not just what we do, not just how we act, but literally from our identity in who we are. We are meant to reflect God himself in our identity. He gave us a special task, too, that we read at the end, right? What did he want us to do? He wanted us to subdue the earth. He wanted us to rule over the earth. And then he equipped us with what we needed to accomplish that. You guys may be familiar with the great theologian Scott Powell. He once said, the human heart is designed to have an interaction with God. That is so profound. If y'all don't know Scott, he's an elder here. I didn't tell him I was doing that. I probably should have. But what he said was true, right? Whoever creates something gets to decide what they created is supposed to do, right? They get to decide how it's supposed to function. Nobody went to the Wright brothers when they created the airplane and said, hey, y'all created this awesome airplane. Have you thought about using it as a lawnmower? Like, it don't make sense. Nobody does that, right? They created the airplane for a specific task. What was the task? They wanted to fly. They didn't just build something cool and then say, huh, I wonder what we could use this for, right? They built it. They created something with a specific task. And so the Wright brothers get to decide how to use the airplane because they are the ones that created it. And so we can deny our creator if we want. We see it all the time. People in our culture deny our creator all the time. But even the ability to do that comes from our creator. He gave us the authority because we bear his image and he has authority. So we get even even the ability to decide comes from our creator. And that kind of leads us into our next point. Point number two. Sin causes humanity to live as the rest of creation. 
When we sin, it makes us just like the rest of creation. Everything else that we read about in Genesis chapter 1. Because in it, after this narrative, it's, not just, it's just a couple of pages later, in chapter 3, we see that the humans God created, and He gave them this authority, they had already abused it. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. It should be up on the screen. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and desirable... For gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. What did Eve do? Did she, did, she listen to, did she listen to God, or did she listen to her flesh? She just followed her instincts. Tree looks good. Looks like it would taste good. Looks like it would feel good to know, to have that knowledge, right? She listened to the enemy. Adam doesn't get off the hook. He was passive. He didn't do what God asked him to do. He didn't live out his responsibility. Boom. Sin enters just like that. Sin has now entered the equation. Not only for Adam and Eve, but just like we read a couple of chapters ago. All of humanity ever since has had sin as a part of their equation. We don't have to look very far to see evidence of that, right? I mean, my goodness, this week in Athens, there's evil everywhere. We are confronted every day with evil every day with things in our world that are not as they should be people get sick people die bad things happen to innocent people people lie people cheat people steal the list could just go on forever and ever and ever and then just as soon as we think it's everywhere else just as soon as we think the problem is away from us we start to recognize the sin in our own lives we lie, we cheat, we steal, right? It may not be public. It may not be on the news. Nobody may even know about it, but we know that it's within us. We fall short of God's uh, glory. We fall short of God's holy and perfect standard, just like everybody else in the world. We live by our natural, carnal instincts when we sin. And when we sin, we hide from the truth because we're passive. And so until faith in Christ becomes a part of our equation... This is the end of our story when it's all said and done. No matter what kind of life we live, we, li we live because God gave us life, we sin, and we die. We spend eternity separated from the one that loves us, that created us. He created us to be like Him. But the good news, there's good news, right? Verse 15, we read just a little bit further. After Adam and Eve have messed up, God gives us just a glimpse of hope in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who's this talking about? This is talking about Jesus. God gave us a glimmer of hope when sin entered the equation. Jesus was not the backup plan. God knew from the beginning that he was going to send Christ to redeem us, and he knew that it was going to take sacrificing his son on a cross to make right this problem of sin that all of humanity was going to struggle with. <clears throat> he knew that it was going to take sacrificing his son. Redemption takes sacrifice. Something has to be undone to redeem something, right? That's within the definition of the word. And that's a hard truth to face. 
We may not like it, but we have to accept this truth that you have to undo something, and it's going to be a hard process to be able to experience true redemption. But if we're going to have the opportunity for life as we were intended to live, if we're going to have the opportunity to be created as God created us to be, we have to deal with this hard truth. We have to join Christ and put to death the desires that seem to come so natural to us, right? Eat what we want, drink what we want, sleep with who we want, talk how we want, treat other people how we want, live how we want, do whatever we need to feel good or to preserve and glorify self. That's no different than a lion, a sheep, a dog, a cat, or anything else that was created, right? Anything else that was created. But God wants more for us. He created us for more than just taking our place in the animal kingdom. He made us in His image for a purpose. He created us for community. He created us for relationship with Him because He knows that only He can satisfy us the way that we were meant to to be satisfied. And only He can fulfill us more than anything else that this world can offer. The best analogy that I heard to try to to explain uh, and give kind of a picture of this idea is this relationship between a caterpillar and a butterfly, right? I'm taking us back to some elementary school this morning with our math equations, and now we're going to talk about some metamorphosis. God puts something inside a caterpillar that desires to be a butterfly. But the caterpillar can't become a butterfly without significant change happening. Life without Christ can be described like a caterpillar just scooting around trying to avoid a a toddler or maybe another bug that's bigger than you are just trying to survive. Knowing we were created for more, but just trying to survive. Now a caterpillar can pretend it's a butterfly all at once, right? But until that metamorphosis happens, until that change happens within the caterpillar, the makeup of the caterpillar changes. It's not going to be a butterfly. When the caterpillar gets into the cocoon, this process that God ordained starts happening. Then the equation changes. The caterpillar is still the same thing in in some ways, right? It's not like it, it got in the cocoon and then another animal came in, right? The caterpillar itself changed. God created this process. But when the caterpillar comes out as a new creation, it has a completely new purpose. It busts out with a new purpose. The caterpillar's only only purpose is to survive and become a butterfly. That's That's what we're born to do. But a butterfly's purpose is to live free and to fly around and create beauty and point to the God that that created it. Once we place our faith in Christ, his spirit comes in us and we have a new purpose. It's like the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. We become who God created us to be and we can live a different life that points back to him, that glorifies our creator. Not because of our flesh, not because of the the old caterpillar that got into the cocoon, but because we're a new creation and he made a change deep within us. So now that I've set up some things from the beginning, I tried to be quick. I want to go back to Romans and unpack the next couple of verses. The last point this morning from the last, uh, from verses three and four is Christ became like us so that we could become like him. 
Paul's going to explain in detail how exactly Christ was able to accomplish this. How could he give us this freedom? How exactly does Christ change that equation for us that we talked about just a minute ago? Let's look at verse 3. He says, For the law, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Now Paul's covered this before, right? This is the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. There's nothing inherently wrong with the law itself, right? The problem doesn't come until we're expected to keep the law. The law is the perfect standard, but we can't keep it. And that's because of our flesh. It's because we have sin inside of us. Our sin is the common denominator of why the law was, was, was powerless, right? We are the problem. So because we made the law weak with our sin, what happens next? God, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, became a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh. There's that word likeness again. We are made in God's likeness and Christ came like us. Christ came in our likeness. The likeness of sinful flesh. A couple of things to point out. The first thing is that Jesus was not created. He was sent. He was not created. He was sent to earth to be like us. And Jesus is distinct because he was with God from the beginning. Jesus is eternal. So don't read this as Jesus was created to solve a problem. But read it as Jesus was with God from the beginning and he humbled himself by wrapping himself in flesh to come to live with us and to live like us and to accomplish for us what we could not do on our own. He added flesh to his equation, his already perfect, holy, godly equation, the characteristics that he had. So his flesh was different than ours. His flesh didn't have the, the, taint, the, the taint of sin like ours has. He wasn't a descendant of Adam because he was a descendant of God himself. That's why his flesh was not tainted by sin. He came to condemn, which is, kind of a, which is another way to say he came to show his authority and put to death the thing that keeps us from relationship with God and keeps us from being who we were created to be. In the Old Testament, they have what they called atonement sacrifices, if you're familiar. Or they, atonement is another word for substitution, right? These were sacrifices of substitution. And so what they would do is these the sacrifices would serve as a reminder to the, to the nation of Israel that the people's sin uh, was, was deserved punishment. And this was a reminder of the grace of God because whatever animal they sacrificed... Whatever animal served as the sacrifice of atonement, it was a reminder to the Jewish people as, hey, that's, that's what should happen to me because I lied. That's what should happen to me because I cheated. That's what should happen to me because I stole. The animal was sacrificed. It was a reminder of them getting what, of the animal getting what in effect they deserved according to the law. These sacrifices were also meant to foreshadow and look ahead to Jesus that he would come and be the ultimate sacrifice of atonement for all of humanity because he sacrificed himself. He was the ultimate spotless lamb. He was the ultimate perfect sacrifice because he had no blemish of sin. By doing this, by humbling himself 
and coming in the likeness of man or coming like us. He came and he became the sacrifice, the atonement sacrifice. He lived a perfect life. And by, by living a perfect life, by shedding his blood, he accomplished what he came to do. And that was condemn the sin that's within all of us. And this, this historical fact, right, of who Jesus is, is why faith in the work of Christ is the only thing that's going to change our equation. Faith in the work of Christ is the only thing that's going to deal with the problem of sin that lies within all of us and that lies within all of humanity. Let's continue reading in verse 4. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, and then verse 4 says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says, in order that. God puts all his cards on the table. He's not trying to surprise us. He's not trying to sneak up on us. We don't have to guess what his mission was or what his goal is. He sent Jesus for a purpose. He accomplished that purpose because he loves us, and he's willing to do anything it takes to give us the opportunity to be reconciled with him. And so because Jesus took care of the problem of sin in all of us, we can meet the requirement of righteousness that is in him when we live according to the Spirit, when we live by the law of the Spirit. Now, again, we have to cover a lot of ground in Romans 8. We didn't get very far this morning. But I thought it was, was hopefully important to kind of give a little bit of a backdrop of who we all are as, as humans before we get into this battle and before we get into more detail. But hopefully we laid some groundwork today uh, that will help us next week when we get into some more specifics. Next week we'll continue and hopefully get a little bit more practical of how we fight this battle of sin. So if the band can go ahead and come up. I'm going to try to wrap up and be quick here. This morning I've asked, I've asked David and the worship team to play a song that talks about this battle, right? The lyrics talk about a battle. Typically when we sing this song or when we sing songs that talk about a battle, we think about our circumstances or we think about uh, our earthly battles. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's part of what worship is designed to do. But this morning I want us to respond in worship and thinking about this battle within ourselves. The battle between the flesh and the battle between the spirit that causes this tension. And it goes on inside the, inside the soul or inside the person of every believer. I've got who's your one cards. If you've been the last couple of weeks, hopefully you kind of know the drill on this uh, by now. If not, we're going to place these who's your one cards down. And we're going to come and uh, grab one to carry with you throughout the week. And this is going to be somebody that we're going to pray for. These are people that don't have a relationship with Christ, maybe. Or maybe they're people that, that have a bad relationship with church, and we want them to come into our family of faith, whatever that looks like. We're going to, I want to ask everybody to come forward as we sing and grab a card and take it with you this week as we pray. Hopefully we've got a small collection by now, right, that, that we're praying for week after week. And the goal is to take one home and partner, not to just pray for our one, but to, to join together, partner together, and praying to see uh, the lost come to know Christ. Because a, a life in Christ is a battle. Anybody who's been following the Lord knows that truth. But it is a blessing to even be able to engage in that battle. We should count it as a blessing because we know that our eternity is secure by being engaged in that battle. But for so many people that we know and love, they're not engaged in the battle, but their eternity is also not secure. 
and this should break our heart. They're living by natural instinct, just living life according to the constantly changing values in the culture and trying to keep up like a hamster on a wheel, right? Our hearts should break for the names that are on these cards. And so I pray as we respond and as we pray this week that we will we'll understand that reality as we pray over these cards. Maybe today was a little bit of a wake-up call for you. Maybe you need to say, look, Jamie, I've been on the fence, man. I've been following the cultural game. I've been trying to figure all this church stuff out. I need to engage in the battle. I need Christ to become a part of my equation. I would love to talk through what that might look like for you. To follow Christ genuinely and wholeheartedly and to desire the things of God. To be who we were created to be. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll respond together. Heavenly Father, God, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful, God, that it is true and we can rest on it. We can take it to the bank and we can trust it because, God, you have proven yourself faithful time and time again all throughout history, God. You've never broken a promise. And, God, you promise that, God, when we engage in this battle, when we experience the tension and the hard parts of being a believer, God, you're going to be there to walk with us you're going to be there to comfort us. And one day, God, it's all going to be made right. There's going to be no more evil. There's going to be no more heartache. There's going to be no more tears and struggle. It's all going to be made right. And so, God, I pray that we would be a people of faith and that we would bring others along with us on this journey, Lord. Help us in the battle. Give us peace and comfort. Give us strength to endure. God, we love you. We ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.